This is Sonic Symbolism, episode 4, Vespertine. The working title for Vespertine was Domestica. Maybe from touring way too much for five years or however long it was. I really wanted the home. I would like be in a taxi from the airport in some country on the other side of the world and I would peek into windows of people having a home life, cooking meals and it would be like from another planet. I would kind of fantasize about it. It was like paradise, domestic life. I would first have to sort of create it sonically, like a bed that uh, you wanted to move into. And a digital bed, because I wanted to not just go back to something that was in my childhood, but it meant like a new way to make a home, including my laptop, including my self newfound self-sufficiency, being able to work at home. You are listening to Sonic Symbolism, where Björk explores her emotional landscapes, the textures and timbres of her albums, with her friends, musical curator Ausmundur Jonsson, and me, author and philosopher Otni Eir. Vespertin was released in August 2001, Björk's fourth album. The words that describe Vespertine are Winter World Paradise Frozen Looking hard for moments of shine Celestial Whispered vocals, micro beats. When I wake up a second time in his arms, gorgeousness, he's still inside me. Who would have known? Loyal, swans, harps. Boxes, laptops, orchestra. Well, 
Glockenspiels, Salvation Choir. I'm praying to be in a generous mode. The kindness, kind, the kindness, kind to share. After releasing her third album, Homogenic, Björk got her first laptop computer, and with it she began writing the music for Vespertine. She aspired to create an album with an intimate domestic feeling, a harp, the celesta, strings, choir, and the music box became part of her sound world. As Björk says, Vespertine is a very introverted album, maybe the most nerd I had gotten so far. The music became quieter from what we had previously experienced from her, and as always, there were surprises. When Björk started to plan the touring of Vespertine, she replaced the urban choir on the recordings with a choir from Greenland that she had assembled and auditioned while traveling there. So now, yeah, so we just continue into next album and we will see it as a somehow like a person or a being that comes uh, through the <laughs> thick, thick fog of times. Um, could you describe it? Yes, I think um, if homogenic was the middle of summer, like very hot, very masculine, this is very feminine and like frozen winter world, passive, celestial, and also trying to find peace and salvation after all the violence, both with the film, with Lars, but also just the violence that I <laughs> caused on myself. Being on 11 for two years, singing me songs over and over again, very confrontational. So. It was like uh, the opposite, like a healing uh, balm or something. With homogenic, I managed to isolate myself in Spain and concentrate it in some sort of essence. So it was very like truth obsessed. But then like most musicians, I toured the world and that's the kind of like the punishment you get as a musician is you have to sing your own ideas. <laughs> million times and after two years you like oh, you're just totally like done and you realize through experience that of course the world cannot be so simple you cannot just have that emotion it is not creative or, or pro-life it's very one-track mind and almost fascist or too extreme mm -hmm. too aggressive and too dogmatic so I think when I started doing Vespertine, it became very much the opposite. She touched my 
It was also the time where I got my first laptop in 99 and I had total freedom from the studio, which is kind of a huge moment for me and, and also for women, because maybe you know this from being an author, you can always write wherever you are, mm -hmm. but musicians couldn't really do this. You know, if you want to have more than just you and your accordion or piano or acoustic guitar, you have to go in a studio and that's very expensive. And, and then you have to also go into the patriarchy system and work with the engineers and the producers and, you know, like the whole sort of system or deal with that somehow. I have no complaints. I, but what was amazing for me was to get a laptop and realize that I could do it all in my laptop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like now we are forgotten what this feeling is like, but it was like somebody had come with a space shuttle and delivered you all the tools you wanted when you were five year old. Around this time, I started recording all my vocals just either in my bedroom or like in this room we are now. And that was a big breakthrough for me because I think it's kind of underrated for singers. If you go to a studio and it's very expensive and on Tuesday at seven or something, you have to sing, you know. It's kind of like doing a concert, which is cool, it's good. But the luxury of working at home is which you maybe know as an author, mm. is you can wait and wait, and then maybe you just have to wait two more days, and then you just wake up and you're in that mood. If you want to sing at 12.21, you sing at 12.21. And if you then change your mind, you don't want to do it, you think you're not in the right mood, or your voice is a little dry from something or whatever, or you haven't finished the last verse of the lyrics, you can wait, you know, you can, serve the emotional creature you are more, better, mm -hmm. because you can wait for the moment where you feel like singing. I started collecting a lot of sounds that were like quiet sounds that were almost the opposite to homogenic. So things like insects, harps, glockenspiels, music box, picking with my fingers on the table that would be the bass drum. Or... So it was very much what I think is called found material or found sounds and editing that like 
Skrillion Times into some sort of jigsaw puzzle. So actually Vespertine doesn't have so much synthesizer sounds. The beats, for example, are mostly like recorded with a microphone, mm -hmm. like in, in the environment. And then that's taken and edited into beats, sort of micro world. It was so much adventure for me because homogenic was like spending two years finding 100 beats that were so big that you, you almost didn't need anything else in the song. So you had the beat that was like Led Zeppelin, kind of huge. And then you had strings that were huge, but you only had two things that were very, the most dramatic ever. And then this was like the opposite. You needed like, 50 insects that took me two months to edit into million micro little things to even hear just a little bit. And it would be like what Arka says so beautifully when you work like that, it's, it's like a prayer, <laughs> she says. It's like, there's two ways of working. Either you have bold, spontaneous few strokes, or you edit something that takes like four months to edit. It's like That's making it. a mosaic, like the, the ceiling of a cathedral or something, you know. But it is because you are placing one piece and then you place another piece and then you, oh, this one is too loud and next piece. And, and then like 5,000 decisions later, you made one whole thing. It's very humble. It's not eco, it's, it's humility. So I became very, very interested in humility at that time. So Vespertine is a humble Björk. I, at least I tried. From twilight to Vespertine was switching to finding the soul or the spirituality in the laptop or in the digital world. I mean, we've forgotten this now because the speakers on the laptops are so good, but back then they were horrible. And I wanted to, because all my friends were, as always the antagonists, who are, uh, oh, now music is dead. <laughs> so it's this kind of story. And I'm like, well, maybe not. <laughs> And so I wanted to do an album that would sound good in small speakers. Mm -hmm. The sounds that sound amazing if they are digital are things like harps and plucky sounds, you know, and glockenspiels and music boxes. They sound very, very beautiful in this kind of compressed digital world.
And I still meet journalists today that always have this, oh, if it's done with a computer, it doesn't have a soul. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That argument, but it's not about the tool. You know, you cannot rely on a guitar to put a soul in a song <laughs> or, or a violin or a laptop. If there is not soul in it, it's because the human didn't put it there. <laughs> So I was using, doing all the glockenspiel and music box and harp arrangements in Sibelius. And then I basically went and got made music box, like a huge music box that could fit like two 12-inch copper plates that we carved the songs into. I recorded everything live as well. And then I sat down <laughs> and spent at least a year going through, okay, this section, I want the live thing. But then sometimes I would actually go back because I preferred the, the software sound. And sometimes they were both of them. So the editing process of that was kind of, for me anyway, monumental because each song had like 10 different things. And, and then I would change my mind through one song, you know, which instrument I would use to do each, each section. And so for me, it was a, a big breakthrough. I thought homogenic was uh, getting into like very mystical, if you look at the words, but even more in Vespertine, I think. It's almost uh, like cryptical. For me, it's also erotic, gets into like a very erotic dimension. I must say also hot, you know, it's like, it's warm. There is like mm -hmm. a, in this frozen, there is still a lot of really subtle feelings actually. Really, there's a lot of weaving, so there's like you, you could always feel the wool element or the or the silk or something weaving, and also the songs are somehow flowing, or the melodies you feel that they're flowing. So even the the distinction between each song is blurred. So that was very feminine, but very extremely sensual. Yeah, I think something about having the whole album in my laptop gave me um, freedom and also liberated me as an author and as a producer to weave together all the songs mm -hmm. so they became one whole thing. The craft of that is quite feminine because it is kind of like when you are doing embroidery, your intention is just as strong as when you do bold, big strokes. 
but it does have like some kind of trance element or a, like a hidden power in it because you have to rely on your patience. And I think in a way to have a three year <laughs> portrait of someone's life, you have almost like a truer organism yeah. <laughs> than if you have maybe how at the homogenic is you don't do anything. I remember sometimes I was in Spain, I wouldn't do anything for a month. And I just wait and wait and wait and then be like, mm -hmm. one song in one day, you know, explosion. But I mean, to be honest, I like both. <laughs> I still enjoy both states, you know. Here's the beautiful last, fragile still strong. So actually this becomes like artisanal, handcrafted processes. At the moment where people thought that now craft was dead, computer had taken over. You somehow managed to use the computer or your laptop somehow. You can feel the touch. So it's like almost like a paradox, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I really enjoy that. For I'm, some it was a paradox. Yeah. I mean, you, you yeah. could not make something where you could feel the touch and you could um, mm -hmm. feel the handcrafted effect with something as technical as a laptop. Yeah, totally. My mother was quite good at knitting and sewing and actually she did furniture. And I was in school from eight years old, two schools to 16, where we were three hours a week or something, knitting and sewing and embroidering and so I think it's a very big part of me, this kind of energy. Every song begins with an idea. Does every album you create begin with an idea that is the core or the essence to all the creativity that follows? Yes, I would like to say that if on each album there is, for example, 10 or 12 songs, they usually come in very different ways. So one will come first on the lyric and one will come first a melody and one will come first like an idea or something. And then very often in the beginning, I try to just trust that my subconscious is documenting who I am those three years. So I just try not to police or control anything first two or three years. And then usually there is a moment where I sit down and listen through. If first time I try to save it 
till as late as possible. And then I will listen and then I will be like, oh, I can see a theme. And usually it is something I didn't expect. I think everybody is like this. They are aware of things in their lives last three years. But then there is a thing that you're not aware of, which is usually more interesting. Mm -hmm. And there is like a theme in your subconscious or in the part of your life that you cannot control. Because if it's very easy to the part of your life that you can control, that's very easy to come with some very clever concept and blah, blah, blah. But that might not be so interesting. Mm -hmm. you know? I try to rather surprise myself and after two years of writing, listen to what I have and go, oh, wow, there is a theme there. Mm -hmm. And try to find a theme that I wasn't aware of. And then I try to pretend that I'm somewhere else, someone else. <laughs> Then I finish the album in that theme. And then sometimes the best song on the album, in my opinion, is sometimes the last song I write. Not always, but sometimes when I see the big picture and I have assembled the album and the album order, and I know like, okay, we have this, 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 but this is missing for this album to be whole. And then I'll just go, okay, now I'm going to write this kind of song. And Cocoon, for example, on... Vespertine was this kind of song. I was like, okay, I've done a whole album here about quiet whispering music and insect sounds and microbeats, but there is no whisper song. <laughs> So I have to do one, and the lyric has to be whisper, and everything has, it has to be like complete, you know, very like like a secret, something you're whispering in someone's ear and nobody else can hear it. remember where I was. I was walking on Arnarhotl, <laughs> which is a place in Reykjavik, and the melody came to me all in one go. The element which was the main theme of the album, which was intimacy and the sort of ecstasy of not having to shout at the top of your lungs in an aggressive way, like homogenic was, but finding the ecstasy in, in quietness. have been equally pop and equally experimental <laughs> but maybe I'm not a good judge <laughs> but I think in a way homogenic yes I, when it came to the song structures they were very traditional song structures but I think uh, the content of it 
for me was not pop because it was very confrontational and quite aggressive, especially in life, you know. But I think in certain ways, Vespertine was, yes, maybe the, the structures of the songs were maybe not the conservative pop song structures, but I think it was much more sweeter and songs like It's Not Up To You, for me, and Cocoon is as pop as I get, you know, at least. But I think I understood if you are going into making some sort of digital dream winter world that's frozen, if there is a shape to the songs, it should be almost like they are clouds or it's more like a dream state, you know. It's not like a busy schedule. <laughs> like, now it's this section and now comes the chorus and now comes this. and. I think homogenic had this kind of urgency and this kind of a lot of, lot of adrenaline, you know, and I wanted to get away from all this urgency and adrenaline mm -hmm. and this kind of will, willpower, to will yourself into something which can be great, but can also be very predictable. The melodies, how did they come through for Vespertin? Hmm. I think overall I was trying to not tap into this sort of hunter character <laughs> that I actually wrote one song about on Homogenic. This character that since I was six or whatever goes walking and if something is not right in my life or I'm not balanced, I will just walk for an hour until I find the equilibrium. The melodies would be me making sense of stuff that happened. But that part of my character was kind of exhausted after the homogenic tour and also Dancer in the Dark. So I was trying to approach it different, like not with gusto, <laughs> not this kind of flamenco. When I say flamenco, I don't mean the style. I mean more the sort of the amount of physical energy and I, that became a cliche for me. I was like, mm, that's, yeah, maybe sometimes, but it's too easy. Sometimes you can find uh, more um, magical things by whispering or, or by being quiet or passive. Me on my own, I am 
and the emotional spectrum. Like you described homogenic as being with like a one emotional core, but still you can see it on a spectrum from like description of vulnerability into uh, more fighting mood and this transformative desire. I could also find this spectrum in Vespertine, but it's not so clear there. It's not from one song to another. It's almost like the spectrum is, it's all over somehow. So it's like almost in every song, there is no answer or mm -hmm. like no solution, but there is more like a questioning mode. So it's more philosophical in a way that's, uh, when you're through the album, you are in an open state, a little bit like questioning, mm -hmm. questioning everything. I think uh, now looking at it, at least today, <laughs> that homogenic was about the will and, and it was very much about the, the hermit or what the Jungian masters call individuation. And Vespertine is almost the opposite. So it's about wanting to unite to someone. It's like uh, offering someone to have a dance or a tango or, or a very soft tango. <laughs> I think also, for example, a song, It's Not Up To You, which was written here on the Meistaravellir, where it hits the ocean, where that football field is. <laughs> it is the opposite of the will. If It's Not Up To You would have been on homogenic, the lyric would have been, it's up to me. <laughs> gonna get this done you know like uh, come on and so Vespertine was it's not up to me and just surrendering that I didn't know the answers and I had to trust and let go of the will It's over and over in the lyrics, maybe in, I can think of Anto, which was for me, maybe the most spiritual moment of self-sufficiency where it was, you know, all this kind of willful wanting something and knowing what you want and getting it and then you can't get it. And the suffering that comes with that is kind of like, it's a, what do you say, a fiction. So you just have to undo it all. And the lyric in Anto is, it's not supposed to be a strife. It's not supposed to be a struggle uphill. That this sort of struggle is an invention of yours. It's not coming from there or there or there. It's like a, 
a farce that you you invented. So you have to undo it. I think for this particular time in my life, I think it was very, very important. But right now I I could look at all the albums and say all these characters in all these places, they were all right. <laughs> no one thing is the only way to react to things, you know? There's like a seduction in the air, like there is a surrender, seduction. So there are lots of feelings, actually, when you read the text, just as poetry. But there is somehow a sadness or like a melancholic uh, strike in it. So there is like from sadness into new kind of joy, which is more like, um, I don't know what kind of joy. Could you describe that? Do you remember like those... What kind of melancholy and what kind of joy? It's so different from the in post, for example. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I would like to say on a more um, romantic note, personally, most of the songs in Vespertine are written before I uh, met the father of my child. Most of the songs are me going through a very important spiritual process and it's just discussion between me and myself where I'm undoing a lot of drama and undoing a lot of struggle and getting myself back to point zero you know and kind of questioning the necessity of always having to make things as meaty as possible which kind of was a homogenic thing but then somehow coming out on the other end and maybe was exaggerated by doing the film in Denmark, which was really, really extreme. Yeah, I remember actually doing the film, coming home in 1999, like in September or something, and just stop completely, go cold turkey on wine and alcohol and coffee for like eight months. Just what just happened to me? Just no, I couldn't have any, uh, what do you call it, hikers, uh, crutches. Mm. I had to just understand with my essence, process it, and my responsibility of that or not. And then writing songs while I was doing that, and then coming out the other end with some sort of as much salvation as I could create for myself. Vespertine is also... The ideal, it definitely was a case of first you write your future and then you move into it. It is kind of about something that doesn't exist yet, a little bit. And it's more like the recipe. Mm -hmm. It's about like, oh, what a fantastic recipe. I wonder if I will ever be able to cook that meal sort of thing. Then being lucky that biographically they're lined up for me in real life. Someone that I could share this newfound domestic laptop paradise with, where I could whisper things and find ecstasy in the simplicity of just staying at home.
Sonic Symbolism is a co-production of MailChimp Presents, Talkhouse and Björk, and was made by Björk, Agni Eir, Ásmundur Jónsson, Anna Geda, Ian Wheeler, Julie Douglas and Christian Koons. It was produced by Christian Koons and edited by Christian Koons and Anna Geda. Special thanks to Derek Birkid, Catherine Werner Bentley, Zach McNeese, Ivar Kartansson, Berger Thorison and Duna Steinen Thorkestotir. Music appears courtesy of One Little Independent Records.